in chapter 15 of Luke. And uh, Luke is perhaps, Luke 15 in particular, is perhaps the most interesting chapter, I think, in the Bible. I have to guard myself when I say that because it's certainly one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible. But I also think I can say with some subjectivity that it is perhaps the most interesting chapter in the Bible for a few reasons. One is, there is no other chapter quite like Luke 15. There are three parables in this chapter that are offered by Jesus, and we find these parables in no other Gospels, only in Luke and only in Luke 15. And they are parables, three parables, that in many respects say the very same thing. It's almost as if Jesus is repeating himself from one story to the next story to the next story, almost as if to make a point. And one of the parables, the last of the three, is a parable called the parable of the prodigal son. That's what it's traditionally been called. And perhaps along with the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is also another parable only found in the Gospel of Luke, it is the most repeated story in all the Bible. The story of an independent, wayward boy who gets himself in trouble, comes crawling back home, only to be met by the loving embrace of his father, and a crowd of friends ready to celebrate his arrival, and an elder brother who stands outside who doesn't seem to get onto the same page. Usually for the sake of time and efficiency, we preachers choose just one of these parables to preach on, either the lost sheep or the lost coin or the lost son. And we do that, and I've done that many times myself, we do that, I think, sometimes to our peril because I think we're missing the point. Because Luke has it in his mind that Jesus told these stories back to back to back, and maybe for a reason. So this morning, we are going to take the time to listen and read the whole chapter and wonder as we listen to it why, what Jesus is trying to tell us. I'm going to read the first two stories, and then Sue Larson is going to come up. And uh, Come on up, Sue and is going to come up, and she's going to read the last of the parables, the parable of the prodigal son. So let's go to the videotape. One second. Do we have it? I mean, I really have it memorized, but I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to show off. Okay. <clears throat> there we go. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you... Just, whoop. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over, over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. 
And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father. He answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sue. Let's pray. Thanks, O God, for your love and grace in our lives. And we thank you for these stories. We're grateful, Lord, to be in a place where we can be wrapped with these stories and wonder what they are to say to us. We pray that you will allow these words of mine to point to the words that we just finished reading and to the word made flesh that we know in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. So when I was eight years old, I was invited to attend my, uh, one of my best friend's birthday party, his seventh birthday party. And seven or eight of us were invited, all of us boys, to this party, and we got to his house. And when we arrived, Earl's mother, this is my friend, Earl's mother wasn't quite ready, so she suggested that we 
we go out and take a walk around the block in order to get out of her hair while she finished up with the last minute preparations. So we did. But the walk turned into something more than just a little walk around the block. One thing led to another, and someone suggested that there was a, a playground somewhere nearby that maybe we could go and play on. So we took a couple of wrong turns to find the playground, but then we took a couple of right turns, and we finally found the playground. And then we spent oh, about an hour playing on the playground. And then we realized that the sun was beginning to set, and it was starting to get dark. And we remembered that this was supposed to be a walk around the block. So we began our way back, but we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know how to get from the playground back to the house. And it grew darker and darker, and we made one wrong turn, which led to another wrong turn. And we didn't know where we were going, and now it was completely dark, and now we were getting pretty scared, and we kept walking. And before we knew it, finally, by God's grace, we recognized some houses and we recognized some street signs. And by God's grace, we got back to Earl's house. And we, when we walked up to the house, we couldn't figure out why there were police cars in the driveway. <laughs> and when we walked into the house, we couldn't figure out why all the parents were there. Were they invited to the party too? Never have I experienced such expressions of joy, relief, and anger all wrapped into one. Needless to say, that was the end of the party. It isn't hard to get lost. I told you a couple weeks ago about my brother Jimmy, four years older than me, severely mentally impaired. He's never spoken a word in his life. At the age of eight, Jimmy was placed in a school for profoundly impaired children, a residential school. And not long after Jimmy took residence in the school, one night the staff were making their evening bed checks and found Jimmy's bed empty. They searched the room, he wasn't there. They searched the wing, he wasn't there. They searched the floor, he wasn't there. They searched the building, he wasn't there. They called the police, they called the fire department, they searched the grounds, he wasn't there. They commenced a perimeter search beyond the grounds. Finally, a fireman with a flashlight looked, heard gently, heard, uh, the, heard the sound of quiet crying, raised his flashlight, and found huddled next to a tree a little boy, scared, shivering little boy who was lost and had no words to say he was lost. And so they wrapped him in a blanket and they took him home and everyone rejoiced. The lost boy was found. It isn't hard to get lost. Don't you wonder if that isn't the reason why Jesus tells these three stories, one after the other after the other, these three stories of getting lost, one, one a sheep, one a coin, and one a boy. The sheep, we can imagine, nibbles himself to getting lost. You know sheep, they kind of nibble themselves away. You know, one blade of grass leads to another blade of grass, and one pasture leads to another good pasture, and before you know it, you look up, and there's nobody around. Before you know it, you're lost, and you didn't plan on getting lost. You just kind of nibbled yourself to getting lost. The coin gets lost likely because someone stopped paying attention to it. Coins don't nibble away, they don't run away, they just get overlooked. Someone puts one down on the table and doesn't remember where they put it, and maybe a little brush, and maybe a little fall off the table, and maybe a little roll into the corner, and before you know it, that valuable silver dollar is nowhere to be found. Lost due to lack of attention. And the boy gets lost because the boy thinks he knows where he's going. 
Typical male, doesn't ask for directions. Takes the family loot and knows that there's a better life out there somewhere, but one wrong turn leads to another long, wrong turn, and before he knows it, there's this, he's this good Jewish boy in a pigsty feeding pigs, wishing he had the food the pigs were eating, and wondering, I suspect, how did I get here? How, how did I get so far from my father's house? We can get lost because we think we know where we're going. It isn't hard, though, is it, to get lost. A corporate executive sits in his car getting ready to go to work. Before he turns the ignition, he thinks back to when he graduated from college and interviewed for his first job. And from there, he kind of nibbled his way from that job to the next job. He nibbled his way from one promotion to the next promotion, nibbled his way from one company to the next company. And now he's sitting in his car, dreading to go to work because he doesn't like what he does and he doesn't like what it does to him. It's hard, it isn't hard to get lost. A 14-year-old girl doesn't feel like anyone at home is paying much attention to her. Her parents are fighting. Her brother thinks she's ugly. Her grandparents think she's bad. And no one seems to see the light inside her. And she falls off the table and rolls into the corner. She starts cutting herself, stealing her parents' whiskey, and hanging around anyone who will pay attention to her. It isn't hard to get lost. A 30-year-old man working in the family business couldn't be more different than his father and brother. They think one way, he thinks another. And more importantly, he thinks he can build a better widget than they can. Buy me out, he tells them, and I'm going to show you how it's done. So they do just that. They pull together the family money and they buy him out. And he takes the family money and opens up a shop on the other coast. But who would have expected the Great Recession? Who would have expected the rising cost of steel? Who would have expected the real estate market to crash? And now he's foreclosed and working at McDonald's. It isn't hard to get lost. Don't you wonder if Jesus, while he's on this role of telling these stories, these lostness stories, one story, two stories, three stories, don't you wonder if what he wants to suggest is that there might be a fourth story, a fifth story, and a sixth story? And those stories would be your stories and mine, our stories of lostness. Why would the story of the lost son and the loving father be so popular, so familiar to 20 centuries of people? Maybe because there is a little bit of lostness in all of us. Is that possible, that there is still a little bit of lostness in you? Remember Ernest Hemingway's little short story about the Spanish father and son who had grown estranged? The boy had run away to Madrid to get away from his father, and after too many years, the father decides he wants to reconcile with his son. So he decides to put a personal ad in the Madrid newspaper, and the ad reads this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. So Tuesday comes and the father goes to the square in front of the hotel and finds 800 young men named Paco. 
all looking for their fathers. There's a little bit of lostness in all of us. Maybe we've nibbled our way there. Maybe we have, someone has stopped paying attention to us. Maybe we have stopped asking for directions. But we've all managed along the way, haven't we, to get ourselves a little off course, a little bit in a pickle, a little bit over our heads. And who even today can say that they have a clear view of what is down the road, what is around the bend? None of us knows what's down the road and what's around the bend. Some of us don't even know what what way the bend should go. There's a little bit of lostness in all of us. So isn't it interesting that when Jesus tells these stories of the lost being found, that they all end up with a party. The shepherd calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I found the sheep that was lost. The woman calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I would lost. And the father kills the fatted calf, strikes up the band, brings the whole town together to do the Cupid shuffle. For this son of mine, he says, was, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And, and don't you wonder... If the folks out there on the dance floor doing the Cupid Shuffle are the folks who know what lostness is about, folks who know how easy it is to take a wrong turn, folks who know how easy it is to get pushed off the table because they've got inside themselves a little bit of lostness too. And they know the joy of the foundness. Maybe, just maybe, that's why that older brother can't bring himself into that party. He can't quite see the lostness inside of him. He can't quite, quite see that this air of superiority, this air of self-righteousness, this air of moral relativity has got him quite lost. That's the irony of the story, right? Of course, that the lost, the lost brother has been found and the found brother gets lost. It's one of the great struggles of the spiritual life, that to the degree to which we sense that by God's grace we have been claimed ourselves by the loving embrace of Jesus Christ, and that on Sunday mornings we get to come inside a place like this, inside the banquet hall, and do the cha-cha slide, it is that to that degree that we can also forget how easy it is still to get lost, how easy it is for other people to get lost, and it isn't far from there to begin playing the blame game. You know, well, if they would just get their acts together, if they would just have done it right like me, and before we know it, we're outside the party with that older brother, arms crossed, scowls across our face, saying, what's this world coming to? And we can't quite see that we put ourselves outside the party. A few years ago, a dear friend of mine who served as one of the groomsmen in our wedding took his life. He suffered for years with episodes of clinical depression and struggled with some bad choices. And tragically, he saw no other option than to end his life. Now, he was one of the groomsmen in my wedding party because he had been my high school youth director. He had taken me under his wing and embodied for me the unconditional love of Jesus. And he kept me on a good path when I was a kid. So many of the good memories of my youth include his presence. But along the way, he got lost. Isn't hard to get lost. And I suppose there are parts of his journey that folks could judge from afar, 
and judge harshly. And I suspect many did and have elder brothers shaking their heads. Easy to do when you can't see the light inside. Easy to do when you have no idea what a difference this person has made in someone else's life. Easy to do when you don't understand how vulnerable you are to slipping off the road. And maybe that's why Luke remembers to tell us that when Jesus told those stories of lostness, those three stories of lostness, he was sitting down at Johnny's bar and talking with the prostitutes and the pickpockets. Really, said the Pharisees, really? The prostitutes? The pickpockets? Really, Jesus says, because it isn't hard to get lost. And it's so good when you get found. Let's pray. Thanks, oh God, for whatever little bit of foundness we've had in our life, and maybe in this moment we've all been found. We've all made it here. We've all gotten to this place to hear these stories again. And yet we know, O oh Lord, that there's still a little bit of lostness in us, still a little bit of wayward, still a little bit of trying to find where we're going. And we're grateful that we get to be gathered up by your grace and you get to love us, you get to shine your light upon us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will allow us to look at others as just being kind of lost along with us and being found along with us and pray that they may, through our lives, find one who's ready to welcome them home. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Never gives up, never runs out on me. 